Hello, dear listeners, and welcome once again to Handcut Radio. I'm Alex Fekovic. Thank you for joining us this week. Now, I discovered Stouffer about three years ago when the brand started making regular visits to London from New York, and I was immediately hooked. Founded by this week's two guests, Agesh Madan and Nicholas Rogosta, menswear doesn't come any cooler or cleaner. Stoffer is based in New York, but draws on a huge variety of international influences to create made-to-measure outerwear, knitwear and trousers with intelligent design that is elegant and functional in equal measure. Its generously collared flight jackets and soft brush cotton overshirts are personal favourites of mine, and I adore the brand's meticulous attention to detail. Moreover, Stoffer is a brand with a genuine conscience. Agesh and Nicholas are passionate about creating clothes that are sustainable, intelligently designed and built to last. They're both uncomfortable with today's voracious consumer culture, and we decided that for this episode we'd concentrate the conversation on the problems of consumption today. I found chatting to them fascinating, and I hope you will too. Here's what went down. One little postscript. Uh, This week I've been struck down with a dreaded early autumn cold, so apologies for the occasional sniffle. Well, gentlemen, welcome to Handcut Radio. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I've been really, really looking forward to this. I'm intrigued to see where this conversation goes today. Um, We're going to talk about Stoffer, we're going to talk about your philosophy, but I think, you know... um, Listeners, we, you know, I will always have a little bit of a chat with guests before to think about where the conversation might go. And I think we've got some sort of interesting discussions that are going to come out of this around consumer culture and where menswear is at today. So I'm excited to get your take, guys. Thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, it is a pleasure. Let's, why, why don't we jump straight in? What is kind of Stoffer's brand philosophy and how did you two guys meet and how did you found Stoffer? Like, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Um, I think we start mostly with values first. That's the whole idea. We The brand was started on this value of trying to change consumer culture and how people consume tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, and, and really offering a better option for people. We always talk about this idea of buy less but buy better. We wanted to figure out a way to make it a reality. Um, that's been the crux and underlying uh, purpose or company mission that we would try to work around. All the other decisions are informed by that. We've learned things along the way and uh, come to where we are. Today, we offer a big suite of very thoughtful product, uh, mostly made-to-measure clothing, uh, covering the casual realm of people's lives, which becomes a significant part of theirs, and and other complementary products that go with it in a much more intimate environment with a very personalized service, uh, working with people to actually give them a help them be more thoughtful about their purchases, uh, which I feel is important. It's, it's almost like a guiding uh, process for the people. Cool. And, yeah, th- th- there's a lot to unpick there, yeah. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through this bit by bit. But Agesh, um, I'm interest, interested to know um, a few things. One, how old is Stoffer now? be five years this October. Five years. Oh, man, do you know what? I thought it was longer than that. That's really interesting. Yeah. God, you've, you've come a long way in a short space yeah. of time. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> nice to hear yeah, yeah. It's um, harder for us to figure that out while you're in it. So yeah, it's good to see uh, that. So. Cool, man. But the, the other question I have is obviously Stoffer is known for really beautiful casual wear, as you've said, mm-hmm. and like made to measure uh, flight jackets, bomber jackets, uh, beautiful overshirts, and kind of 
quite relaxed tailored trousers. Mm -hmm. Why did you feel that when you decided to do your own thing, because you were in menswear before, obviously, um, why casual wear as opposed to tailoring? Because you sort of take a tailored approach to casual wear. I think mm-hmm. we, we felt that there was a there was a void in the marketplace um, for this type of product. Well, I get you asked where we met. Agesh and I met um, at work. We worked at Isaiah together. Ah, um, so I didn't realize that. Yeah, so Agesh was in product development, doing a lot of the fabric development and also the sportswear development. Um, and I was doing made to measure um, and customer service and sales. Uh, but we always felt that made very much believed in the service of made to measure and felt that the. Um, that it was a real value add for clients. We, we enjoyed making our clothing, but didn't have an option when it came to casual stuff. You could make a suit, but you couldn't make a jacket. Uh, we both have, were a little bit difficult to fit, and so when we would go out looking for these kind of iconic things, a leather jacket, it was, it was hard to find, um, and they're hard to alter. So yeah. that was, a, I think, part of the genesis. Um, and then also, I guess you mentioned buy less, buy better earlier, but this idea that this was something that had been marketed a lot, but we didn't feel like there was a relevant way to approach that for us as, as consumers. So I think the genesis was definitely yeah. somewhere around there. And I guess actually buy less, buy better is such an important line, but it, it gets used a lot. And actually the number of, well, slightly controversial thing to sort of open this conversation with, but I think the number of brands that talk about buy less, buy better and don't actually live up to that promise yeah. is significant, whereas Stouffer really does live yeah. up to that promise. I mean. Also, just fundamentally, it's that was something that was consciously built into us right from the start. So it's maybe, I mean, not blaming the other ones, but like it's easier for us to do because we made a conscious choice in the beginning to be like, we're going to make as much as we can uh, only after the order is taken. So as much as possible, uh, barring a few accessories, which we do in very short, limited runs, which eventually find an owner almost every time and who, who really values that values product. that um we want it and then as we and having nick had a lot of experience with made to measure with this idea and then further went at an even higher level with the armory so we understood the intimacy and the personalization of the product that you can provide and how much more somebody values a product that is created in that intimate conversation and then becomes a part of there it's a lot harder to get rid of a jacket was just made for you after you had two conversations because you yeah, you're intimately involved in the creation of the process and a lot easier something that you bought on an impulse and then you're like you know what that wasn't that good a choice so i'm just and since the intimate relations there we we're here to go through the dialogue you gain a little bit of weight we'll help adjust and get you where you lose a little bit of weight and that's where your actual connection with your clothes is a lot more thoughtful than before and all that informed every every step of that and yeah it's it's a it's very funny that you say that because still to this day i am so guilty of making those snap decisions and what i'm realizing is that i will i'll make a snap decision and it might you know let's say two years ago it might have taken me six months to figure out that that was a bad choice now i'm doing it in like two weeks and going (laughs) oh god i should not have bought that um so it's uh super interesting to kind of yeah we all we all make those mistakes and i continue to make those mistakes today but it is nice to know that there are brands out there like stuffer who are encouraging me not to well and it's not that we we discourage people from using instinct or 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 going with a choice that they're attracted to oftentimes that's that's the right thing and a lot of our job is kind of um uh, siphoning through a lot of the noise and getting to that point that the guy says well 
you know, this is what I liked first. Okay, that's fine. That's what you like. That's your instinct. That's probably the thing that you're going to wear the most. Don't overthink it either. Um, but I think that's why we're there uh, and where our service comes into play and helping helping people really hone in on what the right decision for them is. I, I love that idea of cutting through the noise. That's something that I say to clients quite a lot just from a content perspective. Is mm-hmm. like, you know, content today, there's so much fluff out there and so much guff and nonsense you, you know it has to be of a such a high standard that it's really incisive from the start yeah so how do you does Stoffer do that from a product perspective then how do you kind of cut through the noise with your product i mean there's so there's there's multiple steps of it right from the start um our collection is really compact and edited uh, what we offer whether as you mentioned the outerwear the trousers we've we never at a single point offer a giant collection is usually four silhouettes at any four to five silhouettes at any point. All products are thoroughly wear tested for a year or two, so we kind of have an idea of how a model would age over different body types. So we've got a sense of okay, these kind of zippers end up doing that. So our recommendations are a lot more thoughtful in in from a longevity longevity point of view That's rather so than just. So you will you will literally you will test products for that long. Yeah, there's multiple people on the team from different lines. We'll try different things at, at different levels of production, unless and then we see the wear and tear and we'll make a few changes and then go back and then launch the thing. Which is part of we get a question often from clients: Can I make changes to the model? Can I move a pocket? Something like that. And the reason that we don't do it is because we've spent so much time um, developing the models. We know how they're going to react with our different materials. Um, with the changes that we're making to the fit. So the idea is it's been through sort of the, the ringer already, um, and, uh, and we planned it for the different materials we offer, the different fit elements that can change, but we know how everything's going to react, and so that's where we can really stand behind the quality. Love it. Um, okay, there's, there's one, there's one, the only other thing that I kind of wanted to flag about you guys up front that I love before we sort of broaden the conversation out a little bit is actually talking about attention to quality, uh, Stouffer's approach to fabric is also so kind of elevated and I still kind of get really geeky menswear shivers when I think about like your, the boucle flannels that you develop and your wool silk linens and things like that. But I, I don't know of another brand out there that invests so heavily in developing exclusive materials. I mean, I think, you know, we, we have to give credit where credit's due. We were really fortunate working for one brand where they did it really well. Uh, we were at Isaiah, my... Uh, product mentor, head of product at Isaiah, this gentleman called Leonardo Genoa, uh, 40-year veteran in the industry. And I mean, whether it's your taste or not, 95% of the fabric there was exclusively designed and developed. And some things were over a three-year development cycle, whether it's from fiber pr- production, finishing, the yarn. Uh, so the problem or like the thing that we noticed there was a lot of the messaging got diluted and lost and the value in the fabric never got translated to the final person who actually bought it because it has to go through the hands of the people who developed the collection in such tight time schedules which then goes on to somebody at the wholesale team who then has to sell it to a buyer who then has to get it to a floor who has to then train somebody else who then hopefully on that day is feeling in a good mood to take the time to explain it to somebody else and and we were like, okay, let's do less. Let's try to, and and the communication is shortened, right? Like we develop it, that uh, the huge part of the development happens internally among the team. So everybody in the team is kind of up to breath on what's getting developed, even on the fabric level. Somebody is wear testing it. So somebody's got a sense of, oh, this didn't feel right on my skin. I This heat doesn't really, when we're telling you in, you can't wear it in the heat, we've tried it. 
Like it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We sweat you, through you've it. You've been sweating yeah, on the subway. We sweat through it. So we know. <laughs> and, uh, so, and the other thing was just editing the collection down. Like, uh, we want to make clothes that people wear every time. Like, uh, we have a lot of appreciation for designers who take clothing as a fundamental uh, and a conceptual art project. And there's amazing designers who you can learn a lot from who strip the rules, whether it's Rekao Kubo and Comme des and. Uh, but we are trying to do something that can be easy, which is elevated, but it can actually be adopted by somebody in their everyday life. So I, we didn't think that you needed all a million fabric options. If we could bring the choices down, and as Nick said earlier, if we already did a lot of the hard work and save through everything for you, it's usually very hard to make a bad decision when you come out and make what. I actually think that, that having more gives is the opposite effect. If you have too many options, you're actually putting people in a position to make make the choice harder. So we've tried to really edit it down and say these are the you know these are the fabrications that we think you need. If you're looking for something in this realm, these are the two things that you should be looking at material-wise, and then here are the colors within that. But I don't know if you need six shades of blue, you know, mm-hmm. worsted wool to to choose for your for your suit. It, I don't know if that's never helped me make a decision. And so uh, I think editing it down actually puts people in the position to make an easier and better choice. Yeah. It's not restrictive. It's actually, it actually opens it up. And fabric, no, I love that. And fabric's a beautiful medium to show personality through. And we always felt like, and we learned that it is a year. It's like, it's a, it's a tailored clothing brand, but fabric ends up, fabric and color end up being your medium to show any kind of personality. And we, we encourage our clients to do that. Like we're, we're not trying everybody to make. There's no model on everybody needs to look exactly the same. No, we, we come in and this is your life context. What do you feel you're attracted to this? Let's build around that. And there's a, you can show personality through fabric, whether you're more into textures, you like a little bit of contrast, you look like softer tunes, you look like dustier finishes. We have all of that and that. And where do you live and what's your lifestyle like? Yeah. I mean, um, I've probably used this example before, but we, have a, we had a client who rides a Vespa in Stockholm and he needed a he wanted a jacket that he could wear on his bike. So we looked for something that would be abrasion resistant. We looked for something that would be water resistant in case he gets caught in a drizzle, keep him warm. So you have the option to kind of customize something like that for your individual use. Um, and we spend a lot of time up front when we meet new clients, getting to know them, getting to know, you know, what their individual context is, what their lifestyle is like, what do they do for work, what do they like to go for fun? Um, and that upfront conversation helps us, uh, informs us uh, in, in a way to do our job better so that we can service them when we make those recommendations. I, I love that you talk about context and an individual context. Actually, that's something else that has, that has come up this season already, uh, is that you know brands at your level and in your space find that such an important piece of the puzzle to help get the customer the thing that's going to be truly right for them. And I think that that leads us quite interestingly into uh or let's us segue into another part of the conversation which is that you know stoffer is we've established very quickly is all about simplicity creating something that's going to be truly fit for purpose that's going to last that's been responsibly manufactured that's curated that's clean and cool um you're making life as easy as possible to make the right choice now the flip side is you're doing that against a landscape which I think a lot of listeners and myself and a lot of guys in menswear are growing increasingly uncomfortable about, which is that consumer culture is crazy at the moment. We're spending, spending, spending. We're hearing horrible headlines about, you know, 
um, uh, manufacturers like pouring pollutants into the Ganges and, you know, certain brands are burning merchandise rather than mm. retail it just to keep their margins up or whatever or keep their, their resources. So w- what's your take on kind of where consumer culture is at and how are you trying to counteract it in your own little way? Yeah. I mean, I, you, you've captured the dire parts of the landscape, <laughs> right? Like I, I, don't, I don't need to repeat the stats and numbers on, on, on what you just said. It's excess. It's, yeah. it's a lot of a lot. Um, and that's something that oh, I, we hopefully stand in stark contrast to. Yeah. And I, the bigger thing, I think the responsibility, there's, there's some amazing pieces that have been uh, talked about. It's just the conversation never continues. I think the responsibility lies both on the maker side and the consumer side. Uh, brands continue do, doing that because people continue buying. Uh, there's also a bigger problem is we it's the way how we've created value systems and how we value brands and companies we say a company is great if it grew 20% every year again and again put that much pressure on the company you gotta grow because you can't be on the stock market can't get investment and you don't need to be profitable just need to sell more that's just an unsustainable model as a company or a team or a creator because you're like you're literally telling me all I need to care about is how much I sell. Doesn't don't care about whether we can make profit or whether we can be sustainable as a unit. Whether we take care of the people inside the company. That's that's not how we value companies. Like you be and I mean a little bit of the onus is on the press too. The press goes and there's a lot of uh, price based press. You're just like best outfit under a hundred bucks. Best outfit. No, why don't we talk about? the most thoughtful outfit that's going to last you 10 years might need a little bit of investment now. Save up to buy it. That that doesn't seem like a conversation because it's a harder conversation to have. It's uh, it's a hard, it's it's all long lead based. It's it's like, okay, you're only going to see benefits after a while. Even as press, you're going to see benefits after a while as a company. It's not short term. I can raise a lot of money. Each founder can then be worth $2 billion and then exit for the billion dollars in the bucket. That. It's all benchmarking against technology companies, which have a great curve, higher curve, f- fake use of the word and innovation. There's a lot of underlying problems here, but it, it, it's system- systemic to a point where we're not, we're, we talk about it every time. We're not really addressing the issue. The, the issue is, as you said, it's a lot of a lot. We, we make a lot because we continue marketing a lot of consumption, which subconsciously a client's like, okay, I just need to buy more to look better every time. It's a... It, Putting responsibility on just one is not enough. So our aim is hopefully we can give what what we can do is give somebody a better option. Hopefully continue communicating and be open about this conversation. If a client comes up, I'm like, we've talked about it before. It's not, the problem is not buying something else from another brand, do it. But put that brand through the same lens that you would, it's put onto others what you'd want them to do to you. It's just like, Put it on the same lens. Like it's you need to be as thoughtful, as thoughtful as you want the brand to be. Like so as a client, be as thoughtful as you would want somebody serving you food to be. Like we are people. It's easier to convince people. Has been easier to convince people over food over the last five years. The last five. We, we use that often years. as as a parallel. I think yeah. for for what we do, the, the slow food movement. Um, I think is something that resonated with us, and it's something that we relate to how we approach our product and our brand. Um, but I guess said it earlier, I think the, the biggest problem, it's a systemic problem because the businesses are set up in a way that incentivizes them to be, you know, not, I don't want to say in the wrong way, but, but certainly 
at this point in time, it feels like uh, growth and the pace of growth, which is sort of injects the problem with steroids, yeah. is such an important factor. And particularly right now, we're in a moment where I think um, hype is sort of overvalued mm -hmm. and overemphasized in place of longevity, um, quality. And I, it's not that I think hype is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a, a powerful tool um, to, to get a message out there. It's just when that is the only thing that's important, you lose you lose the the other aspects of, of what you should be looking for, which yeah. something quality, something that's going to last you a really long time. Um, it can still be cool. Yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. Um, I love the fact that you. I think this question around hype is really interesting. And actually, I was having a conversation with a friend last night who was saying that he's finding the kind of study of hype in menswear fascinating at the moment because he kind of can't he can't sort of un understand some of the things that are happening in this industry. Um, let's, the, the first thing actually to pick on for me is uh, this idea of the fashion press not helping. Now this is something obviously I have quite, quite direct experience <laughs> of and I absolutely agree. I, I, there, there's this bizarre phenomenon and it all actually comes back to digital and I'm sort of, I'm increasingly coming to the conclusion that everything evil in the world at the moment is driven by social media, um, which is, I know, a ridiculous thing to say, but it, but it's, it's, it keeps running around my head. Because when all the men's lifestyle and fashion magazines got into digital, whether it was five years ago, because some did do that as late as only a few years ago, or 15 years ago, it became apparent very quickly that the kind of content that, that didn't necessarily grow long-term engagement that but that grew traffic quickly was really really basic best of Reductive. best outfit under 500 quid really sort of uninspiring short-form content Clickbait. and we still all i can't think of a brand today that doesn't a media brand today that doesn't do that and i find it really really problematic because if we keep feeding the feeding the consumer these messages of yeah. uh, here are five t-shirts for under 30 quid that you need for this spring or here are all the swim shorts you need but they're only you know it's just about a price point the content in and of itself certainly feels like reductive and sort of the lowest common denominator but beyond just the 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 type of content it's also the the pace of it and uh, in the, the quantity that's needed for digital. I think you, you make a good point with digital and social media because now the idea is that we have to be connected at all times. Mm. And if you're not posting 10, 20 articles a day, um, you're not really keeping up, keeping pace. That for me is part of the problem because there is a limitation to how much you can do and how well you can do something if you start to shrink the time cycle that you have to do it in. I mean, uh, if, if, to compare it to sports for a second, you, you run a 100-meter dash at a certain pace. It doesn't mean you can do that four times and run the 400 at that pace, right? Totally. So there, there has to be this, I think, redistribution of, uh, of the time spent on longer-form things. Um, I think less is more in this respect. I totally agree. But there are, I think there are, there are a couple of things there. And the first is I've experienced myself the, the challenges of having to kind of run a digital product for a media brand and being like, okay, there's a team of two of us in this magazine for online and we've got to publish four stories today. So that's two each. And I'm going to get you one by 12 o'clock and one by four o'clock. And I've got to, and then at the same time, someone's doing one for 11 and one for five. And you, you, constantly you don't have time to think about or produce anything compelling and the solution is this really easy almost price-driven content but 
you are also right when you say that the consumer responds to it. So you're, you're totally right. We're dealing with a systemic problem in kind of consumer culture at the moment. And it is driven by the consumer as much as it's driven by big brands in pursuit of shareholder 100%. profit. I don't know how to solve it. I mean, and it, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like People can go complain and protest all about climate change and stand in line. But hey, there's, there's, there's two ways where you can really make a difference. You go to your local representative and you make sure that you you elect a representative who sits on the same set of values. Just the protest is not enough. Yeah, you can stand in the street and scream all you want. Yes, it brings attention to the issue. But there's an execution structure on how that issue is is uh, is handled, which is you, you get to your local representative, your local elective then elects another one on the senior state elections. And fortunately for us, in, our dem- in all different, um, the ones we are here, in our democratic system, that is a way. To, and the second way you can talk is by your choices and decisions. Like whether it's in the food movement, make a ch- make a choice on what you pick in terms of the food. Don't buy things that are in plastic boxes. Like does it make your life a little hard? Yeah, it does. But then you you can't expect only the com- like the companies made out of humans too. It's not it, they just didn't exist from day one as these behemoths with who are just money making. No, the money making making ragged is money for people too who mm-hmm. you cross around the street it's but us both things need to change yeah. it's not one or the other I mean and, the, and, the system and, has to be set up for the consumer if the consumer is going to change the way that they're approaching uh, consumption then the, the system also has to be set up to respond to that I mean, to, it's the same sim- simple stat that we heard right now with H&M having the 4 billion overs- overstock it's a little bit of a say by the consumer as well it's like hey we some of this stuff that you kept pushing didn't really want it yeah. If this $4 billion worth of product at an average price of under 20 bucks, so there's a lot of units out there, which people said, no, I don't care. Like, so, yeah, we've got to keep <laughs> saying that. And like it, companies respond to the dynamic. That's the language they speak. For the last couple of weeks, you'll probably know I've been waxing lyrical about Florist London's new men's fragrance, Vert Fougère. But what actually is a Fougère fragrance, Alex? I hear you cry. Well, I'm here with Florist's perfumer, Nicola Pozzani, to tell you more. So, hello Alex again. Thanks for your questions. A Fougère is very much a classic. A classic which never fails to be contemporary. And Vert Fougère is very much our own interpretation of it. It's like, to me, uh, that one piece in your wardrobe that you always come back to. Something that makes you always feel smart in your own skin. Sounds good, right? If you'd like to try it for yourself, we still have some free samples of Vert Fougère to give away to Handcut Radio listeners. Visit handcutradio.com forward slash florists and input your postage details for the chance to receive a free sample file via post. Don't hang about because these samples are going fast. That's all from Floris this week, so let's crack on with this week's interview. Well, I'm loving this. This is really fascinating. But um, the, the next question I have that is, that is sort of equally problematic and I don't necessarily have a solution to is... Uh, at some point, we've got to start talking about, you know, other ways to solve this problem. But the hardest thing that strikes me is <clears throat> because we've built a culture where convenience is so important and because the system has developed convenience as a, as a kind of a value, a value commodity in itself, 
it's so hard for the consumer to break those habits of going, oh, I'm just going to go to Uniqlo and get my T-shirt for eight quid. I'm not going to go to Sunspell and spend 65 quid on it just because it's made in England. You know, there's there's sort of... It, the, the challenge because we all do it I'm guilty of it as well you know I have Uniqlo t-shirts and I have Sunspell t-shirts and it's like how do we make this or how do we help even just on a local level I want you know what are the solutions that we can propose to listeners now that kind of help you to get beyond falling into the trap of I'm going to do that because it's cheap and it's easy yeah. I mean I, I I'll speak for, kind of from the brand perspective I think we have to give that option um, I think we try to provide a lot of value in our product, and I think that's an important component of getting a consumer to sort of change that approach. But uh, the idea here is not necessarily to get people to spend more money on clothes, um, but maybe to redistribute what they're already spending in a more thoughtful manner. Um, I guess you'll quote the stat better than I will, but uh, people already are spending quite a bit of money on, on clothing on a yearly basis. And the idea is, do you need 25 t-shirts for eight bucks or could you be more thoughtful about the wardrobe building process and just get the few slightly higher quality items that you need that are going to work for you in in the same way um and that i think that comes from the product perspective like i said by, by trying to give pack a lot of value into what we offer and when i say value i mean you know price to quality ratio but also from the service side of what we do which is to spend time with the client and help them plan so that these decisions are made in a way that, yes, certainly it can be on instinct and somewhat impulsive, but always thoughtfully done for how it's going to work for you and how you're going to use it. Do you you think people get addicted to clothes? This is something that's running around my own head at the moment because I'm trying very hard to change my own consumer habits. Yeah, but this is, uh, you get addicted to the dopamine hit you get from buying something new. But that's part, I mean, even if you read 1800 Webland's research, like it's there. Like conspicuous consumerism exists because, yeah, that's the point why marketing existed. It's like because you can give people that dopamine hit every time you buy something. It's the, the same thing you get by... Instagram like you get buy that new shirt like clothing as that's why shopping was considered an activity for a while mm. yeah shopping for women was an activity like you I mean you do an activity because it makes you feel good right so can you get addicted to something that you feel that makes you feel good but it, it yeah. strikes me then that you're, you're making your life so much difficult than they necessarily had to be but I have so much respect for that <laughs> definitely are yeah <laughs> well, I was gonna say, are there days where you wake up and you're like man this getting people to think my way is tricky I don't think so because I mean certainly we, we, we can see the challenges of, of how we've set things up and we understand the limitations of, of how we've modeled our business but at the same time and I guess said this at the beginning our approach to building the brand has always been value based and that's kind of been the guiding force. And the impact that we're trying to have is, as a brand, you know, this is kind of big picture, is to move consumption away from the, this idea of excess and towards the, the values of quality, sustainability, and individuality and personality. So I think that's always a guiding factor that, that keeps us sort of centered on what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, I, and we believe very much that these challenges are going to be worth it and that this model will ultimately ultimately be that it is a better way to approach it and ultimately we'll have yeah. we'll I mean, have a change make a change when you bring that example of uniqlo versus sunspell i feel like there's something that the consumer needs to know there like you buy a five i mean just give yourself a little bit of thought a five dollar t-shirt like i mean how long does it take you to make a bowl of pasta at least 30 40 minutes five dollar t-shirt took at least 30 
minutes, 30 to 50 minutes to make from, and now think of it from fiber to finish. Somebody grew the cotton, wove the yarn, cut, made the fabric, cut the, uh, cut the fabric, sewed it down, cleaned it, packaged it, shipped it, and they're making a profit and you bought it for eight bucks or 10 bucks. I mean, it just doesn't it, add it, up. Does I, it? If, and when it doesn't add up to you, that's where you'd be like, okay, am I, do I want to be supportive of, there's a little bit, that structure's a little violent. Like, do you want to be supportive of that structure and that, because there is, there has, there's a smarter way of that that has always existed. It's called distributed production. It's just now there is this, in clothing especially, there's this thing where our pricing dictates how good we are. And the race to the bottom of And it's just pricing. like, okay, just because I priced myself 5,000, I'm, I'm good. Like, we're luxury. And I was like, that makes it a little unfair because which puts unnecessary pressure on somebody like Uniqlo to have to produce in China and sell here. But the, the race to the bottom for pricing has been a big contributing factor to... Uh, to a lot of the problems of the fashion industry in general. And also, I mean, at a certain point in time, something can only get so much cheaper. There is still a, a raw uh, cost to it, to a product. And you have to ask yourself uh, as a consumer and, and, and certainly as a business, uh, when I'm making something for such a low cost, where is that cost getting cut from? I mean, somebody might not be getting paid very well. Um, we might be using the, the cheapest possible synthetic material that can be harmful. There's been a lot of studies recently about all the plastics that are, you know, essentially from washing machines that are getting put back into the oceans through, uh, through all the plastic clothing that we wear. And also it's, um, that's been linked to a lot of health problems. So like, like we were talking about earlier with media, if, if, the, if the, the marker of success is the quantity that you're putting out, if the marker of success for a brand is the, the lowest possible price, something's got to give somewhere, you know? And so you have to ask what you're giving up to get to that point. So do you need to ship the product all the way from two continents away? Like that's a cost. And this it's is a cost the, to the environment. The parallel to the food, the food idea, I think, is this is a really clear line. Um, for ninety nine cents, you can eat, but what are you putting in your body? Um, and it's not necessarily cheap to buy better things, but at a certain point in time, you have you know things just cost what they cost. Do you like, need to have strawberries all through the year? Like you don't have when they're in season like that's just simpler things which we were all naturally we're fine just can as you said i think convenience is a very interesting word it's just can you snap out of that convenience cycle it's uh, yeah and right now for the people who do make the choice it's hard yeah that that's the big question for me at the moment is how do we as a society snap out of the convenience problem but it's the same 10 years ago i respect everybody who tried to go vegetarian or go vegan or only organic because 10 years ago, that was a very hard choice to make. Or 15 years ago, you weren't finding that. You would go to a restaurant and be pretty much screwed. Now, it's easier. Mm. There's milk alternatives. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's become easier because people who make things have started giving the option to make it easier. I can make the choice to not drink milk because there's oat alternatives which were grown in, within, within the realm of the continent. I can pick a company which grows the oat in the same continent Okay, I can choose to drink a little less milk and drink that milk, but it 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 became an easier option for me, and that's why the decision was a lot more equally convenient. If, and and that's where brands that's like where you come brands in, right? come in. Like that's where the responsibility of the brands and the press comes in. Like somebody told me about that old option. 
Okay, now that's that leads into my next question, which I did want to ask is is from your perspective as a brand that's trying to do things in a responsible way, what can journalists like myself do to help? And that's that question is as much for me as it is for the listener. <laughs> I apologize, listeners, but I'm intrigued to hear your take. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, just not not publish the obvious <laughs> content. I guess. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know if it's that, or, or if it's more about the consideration of what you're valuing um, when you write an article. Certainly, now it feels. And I mentioned this earlier, but now it feels like hype is is the big thing, and that's fine. But to step back maybe and think about it before we push something and. And think about the values of what we're pushing. Yeah. Mm. And hold the brands and companies to a higher standard rather than just profitability and visual aesthetics. Like, but, uh, see, that's, that's again the problem. Hold, hold, th- I mean, and that's the problem because a lot of the media companies are funded by the brands. Yeah, so, that's exactly the and, and so that, that, I mean, then, and slowly as all of this gets a little bit more exposed, the trust from the consumer goes down too. I mean... I hate to say it, but a lot of the people who come to us found us on Instagram didn't get like it's or they might have read one random article. One, I mean, the ones, the articles that actually got us are thoughtful articles about our interviews about about the business model, but not because they saw the photo of one product somewhere. That was not enough. And maybe these are our initial clients. These are the first three years of these kind of clients coming in. They are finding us and I mean, if you talk about convenience, I don't think we're a very convenient model right now, especially with the trunk shows, because you can only find us for seven days a month in a place where you have to kind of align both your... I was, I'm very thankful for our clients to be to, to make that decision. It's an inconvenient decision. The, they can go to another store, department store and do that. But they've chose to align their values to us. And, and we just... Press can support that, but supporting those kind of decisions. And I think... How that works in the framework? I mean, I have to put that question to you. Like that, that that's that's. That but, well, you but, spend more time in there than I have. You know, it's it. so funny that th- this seems to be one of two or three questions that have run right the way through this podcast from the very first episode with with Mr. Crompton. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I I get very disillusioned when when we talk and, and think about things like this because I just don't know what the answer is because the media industry is in flux there are there are whether they admit to it or not there are brands out there that are struggling and this as things when you struggle as a brand you go after any bit of money you can get wherever it is and it doesn't matter whether it's coming from a from a massive brand that's producing clothes in the most appalling way if you you know the, the industry the problem is magazines at the moment or not I shouldn't say all but the majority of magazines as far as I can tell are not in a strong enough position to really big a brand like you up and talk down the big commercial players because the money as you've said comes from the big commercial players i don't know what the answer is i'm increasingly thinking that there is unexploited kind of editorial power and trust to be found in some really small independent brands and it might be a print product that only prints ten thousand copies that you've got to really go out of your way to find Mm. but if you kind of can almost start a print product as a passion project, but run it pr- properly, and uh, ho- hold yourself up to certain editorial standards. You know, I think we might. There, there's something in that that I need to think more about. And there's there are small niche interest titles out there that are doing that. And it's a vicious cycle, right? Like, if you do that, hopefully you can encourage enough clients to look out for that level. 
because as you said, a lot of these media companies wouldn't exist without the audience and the clicks and the and the, and and the copies sold. Like after a point, the advertiser only going to advertise for that long. Mm. I've been at a brand making the decisions. After a point, the twenty thousand dollar page only makes that much sense when your distribution is that big. And once you four years in, that's the first thing you cut out if if times get hard. And so, and yeah, it, it's I've I've always found. I, the structure of media to be very interesting to understand how that stays as a true business and how it needs to get imagined I think business fashion at least tries to have a lot of conversations about it mm-hmm. I don't know if they found a format but at least there's an open dialogue about it of what the future needs to be because I mean it takes a lot of work to create thoughtfully create at, at the media level a lot of research you do even somebody as respected as the New York Times has a hard time. So yeah. it's like it's it's not just the fashion press that's it's gonna so have difficult. a hard time. It's, There's also gotta be this break in, in you know, from what people are doing to as compared to what they could do. Um, people might click on an article a lot because it's what they're seeing, but if you gave them something else Who's to say they wouldn't click on that? Mm. You know, it's it, about it, being brave enough to do it, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, and I think also, I mean, what I'm looking for from from a, a magazine or a publication that I read is t- to be informative. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be new all the time, um, and I don't, I don't get much value from somebody just pushing new stuff in front of me all the time if it's not very good. Um, so I think that quality to quantity ratio needs to get figured out. Yeah. somewhere along the line uh, this is this is all so interesting to me it's really interesting food for thought I'm going to have to go away and listen to this conversation five times and, and resynthesize <laughs> it in my own head um, next question sort of moving on laterally we, we've mentioned luxury luxury has or mainstream luxury has sort of been on the fringes of our conversation so far mm. is luxury a, a problematic sort of term in itself at the moment I think it depends on how you define luxury um, which is not Necess- I mean, for, for me personally, luxury is not necessarily about excess or opulence. I think oftentimes that, that that's sort of where it gets lumped in. Um, but it's kind of a muddy concept at the moment. So I don't know. I don't know exactly if luxury in and of itself is problematic or if it's just some of the interpretations of it are problematic. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we were toying around with this with a slightly different idea earlier. And it's like, if if you try to go back and try to close your eyes and try to figure out where where that term might have come in and be 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 used a lot, I feel like and and I tried we try to apply it to why why there's so many different definitions of luxury. You could pick hundred people off the street and ask them what is the luxurious experience for them. Be completely might be completely different from one to the other, one to another. And luxury might just be the the ability or that opportunity to have the best version of something based on your value set. So since everybody out there doesn't have a same set of values, the best version of their values is not usually all the same. So luxury for a kid in Gen Z who's born with a phone and on Instagram all the time and he has seen the influencer culture as just part of his life, luxury for him is very different. Luxury for him is the supreme line. Uh, luxury for him is and it would be hard for luxury for somebody like my father or grandfather who got all his suits made all the time is is time like things made slowly things in so like can i that because that's when that in his set of values having the time to do everything in my life at my own accord that's luxurious mm-hmm. so 
and that's where the scary part that that's where the definition gets super convoluted now because with the marketing and as you said what consumer culture is and how information flows so quickly everybody has this micro sets of values defined in their head uh, so yeah for luxury for somebody who truly genuinely cares deeply about the environment might be the perfect experience where it's a non-plastic free zone where they can live that's luxurious yeah uh, to be able to do that is luxurious uh, for us to be able i mean for me to be able to have so much control of everything that i eat consume buy live i mean that that is really luxurious to be able to par- be part of the development of every one of these things for me. And, and I think separating luxury from cost is an important idea. I mean, for me, the most luxurious things are um, the things that I cherish the most. And they're not necessarily the, the nicest, quote unquote, um, or, or, or most expensive things that you have. For me, it's a luxury to, to look down at the, you know, the tool that tells me the time on my wrist and for it to make me smile because... It's something that's special to me. Um, and if I gave someone an unlimited budget, it doesn't mean they can go out necessarily and get those things. Um, the, the, certainly some you know, expensive things are luxurious, but, uh, but there's this idea of longevity, this idea of things that are really special. And um, I've always liked the idea of collecting, curating, collecting, and then having things that you can kind of pass along. Those are luxuries. Yeah. I, feel, I, mean, I feel like that luxury of having all the money and it's like the luxury of flying private yeah it's that's only the luxury of convenience mm. yeah but is it luxurious that you just burn that much fuel for one person to fly for somebody who cared that much about the environment like won't feel that luxurious in his set of values it's like that yeah, is yeah. the convenience worth it like that's, that's not, where that's the, not luxury that's yeah. damaging yeah Oh, very interesting, guys. Gosh, I feel like we've gone down a rabbit hole a little bit, but I've, <laughs> I've really enjoyed that. Um, I've got so many thoughts running around my head now. The other thing that I think is, this is the last the last pithy thought for the day, and then I promise I'll start to wrap up, <laughs> is um, the, the other thing that gets missing, that again comes back to the problems of digital today, is engagement. You know, you, you briefly mentioned kind of, we've talked a little bit about the role the media has, and you've, you've mentioned influencer culture very briefly i always think that today we are all in the same way that we look at price or convenience we look at reach or we look at the size of an audience or how much an all a, a, a brand shouts and actually influencer culture is a very good example of this because you maybe as a brand you'll choose to work with someone who on the face of it has a huge audience but are their audience really engaged and are they relevant for you are they your really the vast majority of that following do they match your consumer profile is that guy compelling like there are so many things that are truly befuddling at the moment and i I take my hat off to you for not engaging with any of them (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's a it's an interesting point you make because obviously exposure is important Mm. it doesn't matter how committed we are to our value set as a brand if our business is so small that it's not really having an effect. Yeah. So there's there either that's a careful balance. Um, but I think we've always approached our our brand and our growth as a, as a slower burn, and we've sometimes taken a harder road because we feel like in the end it'll be a longer, uh, better, better position to be in. So oh, we've hoped. <laughs> we've hoped. Yeah, I mean, I, no, I, no, I have no doubt no, that I mean, is coming I mean, to pass. He, and, and Nick mentioned mentioned it previously, right? Like that. Do we really feel like we we do consider every point is like okay we could shout and scream but is it as you said really gonna engage that client like is that really the meaningful conversation we, we want to have I mean we say if we are providing a better option yes we want 
to get in front of as many people as possible, at least so that they know that there is a better option. But we also really value the fact that our better option works by having deeper engagements with the people who are actually engaging with us. Mm. So the people who are making those courageous choice right now to, to deal with an inconvenient brand who only comes in once in a week and once a month to them, we want to give them everything we can so that they can probably share it within their circle and somebody they bring two, friend, two friends over who are like, okay, I'm happy to make that choice as well. And we aim to make to it make, more convenient in, as in, we no, grow. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, of course, we're, we don't want to be lifetime inconvenience, I but mean, in, in the sense of what where the, where we are now, that this is where we are, and I'm, we're very thankful for the people who support us. Absolutely, and in, and and we try to kind of pay that back. And then we we opened a, a permanent showroom in New York recently, and I think that that has been uh, has certainly improved the service that we can offer to clients, and has started to make it more convenient to. To be with us, and we've and we were built on this idea of removing some of the barriers to to a, to a, an idea like made to measure or yeah. a vehicle like made to measure um, by trying to make it something that we deliver faster, we deliver to a more relevant product offering for today's guy, um, and and we're trying to take those barriers out. So we're not trying to be difficult. Yeah, great. Sure. <laughs> well, the the, the the kind of key words that have come out of this conversation, I think, are really, really filling me with a lot of hope, which is, you know, responsibility, thoughtfulness. I love the fact that you keep referring, you've referred to thoughtfulness throughout this interview. Yeah. Um, uh, really, really interesting conversation, guys. Uh, now, I have one last question, which is a complete segue, but I did want to ask because I think it's interesting. Um, it always strikes me from the communications you do have, like your beautiful campaigns and the kind of quality of visuals on your social media and your website, that identity is very important, Stoffer. This sense of identity and kind of uh, playing with different cultures and, you know, traversing the world and showing your clothes in different contexts. Mm. Um, wh why, why, why does it matter to you? Why, why is your sort of playing with identity so in interesting for you guys? I mean, I, I, I'm, we feel actually by distributing it over, we are actually trying to not identify with a single thing. There's a little bit of ambiguity that we're trying to give. And that, is actually, that truly, genuinely comes from a point of sharing. Those are experiences that we have had, whether it's every one of those locations we've either been in, we live in, we share with, we connect deeply with, and we want to share it with you. And that... That's genuinely our way of communicating because that's genuinely our way of communicating in person too. You come into a showroom, we will share you all the share with you the local places that are good to eat. We want to have that connection with you because I, I don't. I, I mean, I hate to say that that's how we try to build trust, but like we genuinely care about the context of the client. And in that conversation, it feels like a genuine translation at the next level you share, and our communications that like whether it's. India and maybe that's a bit of where philosophy of color is informed from. So it makes a natural sense to share that. And I think that breath goes along with, I mean, we offer a very personalized product and a very personalized service. So with that, we need to have some breath to go along with that because we're offering things to individuals mm. and everybody's a little different. So if we tried to, I mean, we certainly have an aesthetic, um, but we don't necessarily try to run a client through a through a funnel and bring them out the other end looking stofa the idea is that you can come to us and end up executing your version of yeah. what we do your personalized version of what we do and that's not to say that if you come in and ask us to make you know something that's wildly outside of what we do we're just gonna you know do it that's not who we are 
and there's probably somebody else who can do that for you better and we're, and we're happy to suggest that um but but the idea of doing something personalized means that we have to be open to a lot of different things a lot of different cultures, different values. and It is extraordinary, actually. It's just as an example for listeners that might not have been onto the brand's website. And if you haven't, please check it out. Uh, is, you know, there's a campaign, an absolutely stunning campaign that's a few years old now that I still keep coming back to as a reference point for me in a coffee house in, is it Jaipur? Yeah, it's in Jaipur. Yeah. And then at the flip side of that, there's a campaign from like last year where the guys have shot a model in a squash court in New York. Yeah. How cool is that? I, don't, I can't think of another <laughs> brand that's done that. It blows my mind. It's I kind of it. the world nowadays too, though. People are people travel a lot more. We have access to a lot more. So it feels, that for us doesn't feel like a crazy leap. Yeah. Um, it's, because it's not, it's wicked. Yeah. It just and works. Unfortunately, our clients come from all around. And I mean, what better way to build empathy than share everybody else's life with everyone, so the best way to understand everyone yeah. i love that mm. what a perfect note to end on um <laughs> guys thanks so much for for taking some time out i know you're slammed pleasure um so i was really really excited about this conversation um we've had listeners request you guys so it's great to be able to bring this interview mm-hmm. to to pass um thanks so much indeed for sharing your thoughts so honestly thank you awesome. for having us it was a pleasure it was an absolute pleasure Well, there you are. That's it for this week, lovely people. And that's almost it for season two. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please note that this podcast is produced by Birch, a London and New York-based creative agency. Please do check out their intriguing work at thinkbirch.com. Joe Boyd is our sound editor and theme music composer. Tune in to more of his music by following at This Is Joe Boyd. I'm going to end with my usual plea to please rate and review the podcast. And if you want to reach out, ping an email to alex at handcutradio.com. Let me leave you with some rapid-fire answers from Nicholas and Agesh, and we'll see you this time next week. Okay, guys, quick-fire time. Mm-hmm. Um, interested to get your, your instinctive responses on these few. Um, first question, what's the most important thing you've both learned in running your business together? You go first. Have we learned this? In, I mean, the value of team and, and, and the importance of putting the right people um, around you. I don't know if that's new necessarily to this, but certainly uh, highlighted and emphasized in what we do. Um, really thinking very hard on cutting out the noise and really building a sustainable team, like a sustainable company, like, which is sustainable for the team itself. Like not run after just sales, but but also not just offer a product and then be like, oh, we can't really help our team grow. Like, I, we want to take care of everybody who's doing this. Love it. Um, what's the one thing, we've touched on this, but let's, let's try and distill it down. What's the one thing listeners can do to make a difference to the fashion industry today? Be thoughtful. Yeah, yeah care. That's it. Be, yeah, absolutely. Think, just give yourself, every time you, before you swipe your credit card, just count to five, five seconds. <laughs> just give yourself five seconds it's like do I really this, is this the right one I love that be thoughtful five seconds before you seconds. pump that credit card code <laughs> in um, what makes a brand compelling to you guys today what do you look for in a brand for, uh, for me authenticity and identity and those two things are sort of linked um, for sure I think that's always something that I find compelling not just in brands but really in, in, in people in general um, and then innovation People who are doing something, something that's pushing pushing us forward. That doesn't necessarily mean like reinventing the wheel, um, but but certainly innovation. Cool. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, like I'm ge- I'm usually happy to support people who are genuine and, and aligned with in terms of values. Like I think that's that's key to me. Like it's um, just it just not about their product, but everything else that they, the value set that they surround themselves with. That that's important. Like you might make one amazing product, but if everything else you you do doesn't really align, then it would be harder for me to support someone. Cool. And last but not least, leading on from that, what other brands are out there that, that you guys respect today? It doesn't have to be menswear, just any brands that you think have got a good good recipe going on. There may not be that many of them. It's a loaded question, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, since this is rapid fire, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> after, um, I think Oatly Milk has been super interesting for me. Like, I've been reading a lot more about them recently and how they've... Uh, their expansion process was really interesting recently. They, they they were one of the first ones to then reanalyze this idea of distributed production, and was, they opened a production near um, near New York before they moved into the U.S. market. And they, uh, which, but they they as a premium product, they probably would not have had to do. So, mm. uh, so there was like interesting things and. I don't, again, it's a private company and you don't have complete information about it, but it's been interesting to see where they've come from in terms of innovation. It, it's interesting that you, you pick up on that because that's they're, they're a brand that I've found quite interesting recently. You know, I've started drinking oat milk off the back of the way they are at least saying they're doing things. Yeah, and I mean, they've been open to a lot of, they're one of the few ones who've been open to a lot of people coming in, into their production, getting an idea of... Uh, it's interesting to hear what what they're doing, and I felt like a lot of the values aligned in that sense. Um, yeah. So Bridging off that, I, um, there's a company, Impossible Burger or Beyond Meat, which I find to be, and this is like totally not menswear related. That's cool. But I find the the idea really interesting. Um, I read a, a really uh, interesting article from the founder of Impossible Burger where he talked about the way that they've positioned the company, even though it's a a meat-free option it's never been positioned from this uh, necessarily from that perspective it's still like a luxury good for us i say luxury brand but for them it's like tasty and really and really good and that was the first thing that they led with rather than leading with the idea that it's an alternative to meat mm-hmm. um and i think you know this tesla comes with a lot of other things but they've done that too they were they were somebody who proposed this idea of a of a, a car that's better for the world but made it luxurious and beautiful and um and for lack of a better word, sexy. Very cool. Guys, thank you so much again. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Pleasure.